everyone and welcome to Film Club, the podcast where we pick random categories out of a jar each episode, watch two films based on those categories and then discuss the results. I'm Adam. And I'm Bex. Uh, and we're very excited to bring you this coronavirus special edition. <laughs> um, we've been in lockdown as many of you I'm sure have been for a few weeks now uh, and we thought this is a better time than ever to try and bring the concept of Film Club into people's lives uh, maybe at this point you're getting to the end of having seen all the films that you already wanted to watch and are looking for some inspiration um, so yes what we do as I said is uh, we have a jar full of categories we pick one for each episode and then usually each of us picks a film based on that category and then we come together to compare our choices um, if you want to play along at home then uh, you can email us filmclubpod at gmail.com uh, and at the moment as long as we don't get overrun I'm sure we won't uh, we'll pick a category at random and email it back to you so that you can uh, try and we can try and spread some film inspiration sure yeah so we thought about this special episode uh, obviously we pick our categories from a jar and it's at random we did think of course we could make this some sort of coronavirus lockdown special maybe uh, watch Outbreak and Contagion or yeah. uh, do one that's based around containment which would basically just be me trying to find a way to watch Buried with Ryan Reynolds again or like that District 9 um, what's the one where they're in a bunker oh I don't know um, oh, the one where the aliens are attacking and you don't know if it's like actually happening or not well, District Nine's where the aliens are attacking, but there's not the a bunker. The next one after that. What's after that? District Ten. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. Uh, there's a film after that, and um, God, you, you know, and they're like, um, oh God, this is a terrible bit of dialogue. But <laughs> there is a film where they're in a bunker, and she's been like, she wakes up. Oh, you're it. talking about Ten Cloverfield Lane. That's it. You knew it had a number in it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> Isn't Cloverfield? There was. Cloverfield before that. Though, yes, right? there was, but District Nine is the one where people uh, in New York City. No, oh. <laughs> in South Africa, in Johannesburg, oh. fucking prawns. The fucking prawns. Yes. Oh, oh my goodness. So as you can tell, we're two film experts. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, no, we we thought about doing those things, uh, con- coronavirus, but we kind of thought it's a bit of a busman's holiday, and I'm sure it's all you're hearing about uh, wherever you go. So we decided to stick with the rules of the jar, pick a category at random, and the category this week was. Uh, I can't remember the precise wording, but it was a film picked by your mum. Exactly. Yeah. So we've roped our mums in. We thought uh, we like the category a lot. It's in the spirit of film club because uh, it means there's a high chance we'll discover a blockbuster or an indie that we've perhaps not seen before. Uh, it brings people together uh, and it gives us an extra excuse to call our mums. Yeah. What did you think your mum would pick? What kind of films did you think they'd pick for this? Uh, I thought that she would go for... Some of the ones that she almost picked Mm. were the kind of things I thought she would pick. So I thought it would be something like... It would have been a fairly recent blockbuster, but it would have been slightly on the kind of uh, highbrow, maybe the slightly artsy side of things. Uh, because as well, as as she'll go on to explain later, she uh, before lockdown tends to go to they have a regular uh, cheap cinema date on Wednesday mornings. I think it is at the uh, the Alexandra Cinema in Newton Abbott. Yeah. Uh, shout out the Alexandra Cinema. <laughs> I hope it survives lockdown. Um, and so and they show a lot of kind of critically acclaimed and Oscar contenders and stuff there. Uh, yeah. And it's uh, yeah, so she tends to do that. So I thought it might be something she'd seen there. I think it's safe to say as well that your mum mostly consumes films at the cinema. 
which is which is which is different to you or I or yeah. to my love even. I think that's true. She likes the she likes the sense of occasion. I think. Yeah, it's it's kind of um, let's go to the pictures and what what should we go and see kind of thing rather than we'd scroll through Netflix and find a film that we both like and watch it at home. It's to do with availability as well, isn't it? Because your mum is a bit more out in the countryside. The nearest mm. cinema's a lot further to get to, whereas my mum at a push could could walk to our local yeah, cinema. Yeah, true, true. Um, my mum goes to the cinema, but definitely not as much as your folks do. Mm-hmm. Um, and and wouldn't like of a Wednesday morning or something. But I've been to the Alexandra, and that is a lovely cinema. Mm. And if I if we if we could take advantage of a silver screen, how much is it to get a ticket? Oh, I'm sure my mum could tell you the deal. I think it's something like it'll be like five pounds or four pounds, but you get a cup of tea as well. Mm, that's the be- that's, that's the be- kind of cinema. That's the beauty of heading into senior citizenship is that you start to get cups of tea included with your cinema. Well, because going to the cinema is a genuine like um, expense now. It, you might, I remember when cinema tickets used to be a fiver, but now they're what like ten, twelve quid. Can be, yeah. I think it really varies though, because you get um, uh, some chains. Uh, I won't name any names, but there's one chain that I think maybe their facilities aren't quite as up to date, and mm. so what they've had to reduce their ticket prices. And that's a nationwide chain where you can go to see films for a fiver now. Sure, um, yeah. Which all is, the time? Or like, all the time, right. yeah. Which is good because, I mean, again, one of the principles of, of uh, our podcast is that any of the films that we pick, you have to be able to watch them for under £4, either rent yes. or buy, secondhand or through Amazon Prime or Netflix or some other way. And I suppose the nature of the, this, this podcast as well is like going, to, like you say, cheap films, but also stuff we did at home. Like the point, the, this, the birth of this whole idea was to do stuff while we're in the house yeah and now literally that's all that's all we can do do. so (laughs) suddenly film clubs become very useful to us and hopefully to you yeah um so let's uh let's go to the first uh the first mum (laughs) um we'll we'll pass you now over to our past selves earlier today uh speaking to the mum in question about her film choice giveaway <laughs> um so you tell us about the film you picked for us okay so i i picked witness um it was a film made in 1985 which was a year before you were born rebecca um it was directed by peter weir and it won two oscars what did they win the oscars for um i believe it was best original screenplay and best film editing uh, Harrison Ford actually received his only Oscar nomination of his career. Can you believe wow. that? He's never received. I know, yeah. I can't believe that. It's extraordinary, isn't it? Because he's done quite a lot of like mainstream films, right? He's not done a lot of yeah. um, particularly clever or arty films. He's mm. He went straight into like the Star Wars, Indiana Jones. Wars. Yeah. He strikes me yeah. as the sort of person that would really like a nomination but would hate for you to know that. Yeah, yeah, because yeah. <laughs> I've heard and read that in or like in interviews and stuff, he's really grumpy. Oh yeah, he's notoriously difficult. Sure. Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. So you get, which, which isn't reflected on screen, is he? Because he's like a heartthrob no. and he's very yeah. um, mainstream in that way. But um, yeah, in in, in yeah. he's he doesn't really suffer fools. No, no, I probably imagine that. But uh... so, do you want to tell us a bit about the film? Um, uh, yes, I can tell you about the film. So um, the film is a thriller, but I also would cast it as a romance. 
um, and that's one of the reasons I, I chose it. Um, so it, it starts with, um, it's in a, it starts in an Amish community, um, uh, 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 one of the mothers has recently been widowed, she's got a small child called Samuel. Um, and she's going into the big city, so, which doesn't often happen, but I think I believe she's going to help a relative in who's having a baby. So she has to get through um, the city to get to um, another place. And in doing so, her child witnesses um, a murder in the toilets, in the, in the washroom. Um, and then we get uh, the involvement of uh, Harrison Ford's character, John Burke, who... Um, wants to obviously find out who, who's committed the murder. Um, and, well, long story short, really, um, well, not to go into it all in too much detail, uh, the little boy, um, who's played by Lucas Haas, uh, recognises the policeman, who's a corrupt policeman, who committed the murder. Um, and Harrison Ford realises he's got to protect them. Uh, he then has to go uh, back to the Amish community, um, and they, they hide him, they keep him in hiding because he realises that the little boy is in danger. Mm. Um, so, we, you know, we have this growing relationship between uh, Ford and Kelly McGillis, who's the, the, the mother, and that's really central to the film, and it's extremely well done. And we also have the unfolding of the um, Amish way of life. Mm. Um, it's extremely successful in the observations of the Amish life uh, and compared with his world, which is they call the English. Yeah. Mm. Um, often see what, what life's like, you know, in that sort of world. No. Um, and also the, 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 the fact that they've got rules, their rules are so unbending. Um, you know, if you break those rules, you risk being shunned. Mm. Um, and that kind of does explain what happens right at the end. When, and when did you first see this film? Well... Um, I don't think I saw it at the cine- in the cinema. I would have seen it on the television, probably, I don't know, when, whenever it would have come out on TV. Oh, really? So you would have watched it way back in the 80s? Like, yeah, it would have been 80s, late, late 80s, whenever it came out on TV, but not in the cinema. Right, right. Yeah, and yeah, definitely on TV. But you saw this more recently? And then recently, and before I, you know, you asked me to do this, it was just on the television the other night, late at night, and I recorded it, and, uh, you know, I just, it still delivered. Huh. You know, I still really enjoyed it. Um, you know, watching it again. Um, Did you have a little um, thing for Harrison Ford in the eighties and nineties? I think so. I think. I mean, he he was pretty amazing. You know, <laughs> just really. They've, uh, they've really shown off all his skills as well, haven't they? Harrison Ford topless. Harrison Ford firing a gun, yeah. Harrison Ford protecting a kid from the gun, Harrison yeah, Ford doing yeah, woodwork, yeah, Harrison Ford yeah. fixing a car battery. <laughs> like They're really showcasing him as uh, boyfriend material, aren't they? Yeah, yeah they are. And, and apparently, though, he showed off his carpentry skills because, and that was his job before stardom. He was. Ah, okay. he knew that, he was a carpenter. And, you know, he, he actually was doing that for real, the carpentry. Yeah. <laughs> and mm. the barn. I mean, the barn raising scene is just glorious. You know, it really yeah. is. Yeah, I agree. Scene. That whole bit scene, yeah, where they're building the barn, it, that's that's the bit that made me think, cool, Peter Amish looks looks all right. Like, you get to build you, houses. You, you stopped the film at one point and said, this is just like an hour and a half long advert for the Amish community. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I thought it was yeah, really no, good. It was beautifully filmed as far as that was concerned. I mean, and, and you know, um, the milking and all that. Mm. And, you know, it just shows them as a very hard-working um, group of people who, who um, you know, 
will do anything for each other. And where does this um, film um, rank in other Harrison Ford top films for you? Oh, it's 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 way ahead. It's way up there. I'm I you know I'm not I'm not a fan of Star Wars particularly. Um, it's it's you know it's my favourite film with him in. Wow, big talk. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah. for me, nothing will ever beat Working Girl, but I'll I'll give you. I thought you were going to say The Fugitive then, because you the love fugitive. you love The Fugitive or Ever really? One. Oh, no, no. Uh, it's, it's... Working Girl would have been on my list. Yes, I I think probably that second. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. This came yeah. right in the middle of of peak Ford when he like he he was working hard from like the late seventies to the late nineties, and they're yeah. making really good really kind of mainstream big hitter films and yeah. um i think this definitely falls within comfortably within all of those it, it does but it is a lesser known film with him in i think because you know yeah, yeah. i'd i'd I not heard of many it many people have heard of it no yeah i think you're it's probably strange, right yeah but it's, it's just a really good film especially considering it was his only um nomination Yes, exactly. Mm. You think it yeah. would be more, um, more talked about. So, is there mm. when we were when we were younger and growing up? Did we? Did you? Because um, we used to always record films off telly, didn't we? Um, I don't know if we did. I thought if we just if we just got videos. Yeah, we used to record them on VHS. Do you know what? In this film, it reminded me because when we were when we were younger and we'd record films off TV. If there was like yeah. a sex scene or a nude scene, you'd stop the recording. And so like, <laughs> so in our recorded VHSs, there'd be like a sudden bit of static where <laughs> you would have stopped it. And in, when I watched The Witness, because there's a single full frontal double boob shot in this. Yeah, and I thought, is, yeah. if we were If we were recording this off TV, you would have stopped it. I don't think I would have done. You've got to think of the children. But at least, at least all these years later, we can be, we could well... Both of the films we've been recommended have had uh, an element of sexual content and we've yeah. been allowed to watch it, so that's got to stand yeah. for something. Yeah, true. Because <laughs> in Working Girl, that's what you did. You killed a uh, whole yeah, scene. Yeah, there is a definite sexual sex scene in that, isn't there? Yeah. <laughs> <It> was, <laughs> I, can't remember, I can't remember that, Rebecca. Millions of you leaping up off the sofa <laughs> mid-watch mid to suddenly pause it. <laughs> <laughs> So there we go. Thank you very much, Jill, uh-huh. uh, for suggesting 1980. I think we said it was 1984, but it actually it's 1985 on IMDb. Yeah. Uh, Harrison Ford starring Witness. Uh, so let's talk about it. My mum sent no less than 11 films for us to consider. And the first 10, I were like, legit, cool. I, 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 They're kind of what you expected. Yeah. But when, and then she throws in Witness, which I'd never seen before. Um, I uh, didn't really know what to expect from it. And I, I had no kind of preconceptions. It's from the 80s and it's got Harrison Ford in it. So that's two ticks in my in my uh, film head book. Mm-hmm. Um, but all of the other films I would have absolutely watched and really enjoyed to have watched, actually. Particularly, I think, out of, out of her list that she sent through. I know that Shawshank is one of her favourite films. Well, and I think Shawshank is a safe safe pair of hands, isn't it? Yeah. You, you, you know, it's obviously it's amazing. It's in lots of people's you know top tens of all time. Yeah. Uh, and I think, like your mum, as we'll learn, she doesn't like to repeat watch films very often. Yeah. So she doesn't. Ha- she wouldn't like watch Shawshank five times a year. 
Whereas I've got no problem with repeat watching my favourite films. We do find this a lot, don't we? Sometimes when we're trying to work out what to watch, you will suggest something that we'll have seen maybe three months, four months prior. That to me is way too soon for a repeat viewing. It depends on the film. Some films are so, so hard going or just, you know, tough to watch that I can't bear to watch them very often yeah um but yeah I, I've got if you're looking for if, I, if I'm looking for something easy and mildly entertaining to watch I don't mind repeating that at all I suppose I could there are some that are like probably more light-hearted ones that I, w- I could re-watch more often as a balm like mm. I could watch book smart every two weeks I reckon probably reckon? without getting too tired of it yeah yeah, fair. I mean, that is a great film. Let's talk about Witness. Can I get a Witness? <laughs> what? Uh. Um, so, Mum's actually gone through the plot, but yeah, it, mm. is, it is. I was expecting it to be a real cop japery. I think actually online it's described as American neo noir thriller, which um, I'm not really sure what neo noir means. Yeah, I mean, I guess it's got it's got a kind of noir edge in the the sort of the limitations or the freedoms of the Amish community lend it perhaps a slightly darker edge i suppose and it's got a lot of like drone music and like ambient tones it's very Uh, atmospheric i was quite not blindsided but i was quite surprised by the opener the opening sort of five to ten minutes of this because all i had to go on before i watched this i hadn't seen this before was that it was from the 80s it's called witness and it had harrison ford so i was expecting something that was almost down a sort of lethal weapon, Starsky and Hutch, kind of 48 hours, Beverly Hills Cop kind of, maybe not that light-hearted, but like, you know, a city-based action mm. thriller. Yeah. And it opens probably with about a 10-minute, almost silent, yeah. ambient music scored Amish funeral. Yeah. <laughs> and I, and I, there's no sign of Harrison Ford, obviously, and he doesn't appear until quite late in the film. Yeah. Um, and there's nothing like an Amish funeral to really hook you into a film. I mean, I did wonder what was <laughs> happening. It was. It felt quite art house. To, that, to yeah. And maybe that's what the neo noir means. It is. It, it does. It did all feel. Even the way they shot it and lit it, I felt was all very, very subdued and very quiet and very Amish actually. But not not very flashy very kind of um real life and plain mm. which i quite which i which i quite dug so it, it did kind of hook me in and i was like where's ford what, what what's this witness it definitely made me curious what do witness i mean it did it did then kind of fall into a slightly more expected pattern for sure when, once when, once the crime once he witnesses the crime which yeah. actually for its time so the crime is um this guy in in, in the bathroom of a of a train station he's there washing his hands turns out he's a cop and these guys come in and they slit his throat yeah, it's, yeah there was some chat on imdb i think that the director possibly had thought that it was perhaps a bit too violent, too violent yeah. but that he'd kept it as it was because they wanted to kind of illustrate the shocking nature of you know something that you know the, the kind of the i guess the the difference between this boy's upbringing and then his first big trip to the city and the shock of the the kind of what, what was waiting for him. Well, yeah, and I really got that when he was when the big train comes along and he's looking at the statue in the train station. You know, all this these this kind of um, this, the scale of the city to uh, such a young boy. Mm. He wasn't afraid of it. He was he was like drinking it all in, and, that, and I, I got that. But um, this is a very violent crime, and so as soon as that happened, I was like, got it. This is like a cl- the client situation. So. This kid witnesses this guy, you know, the client who commits... You the client. Yeah, send the client. Uh, who commits suicide. Oh, no. What happens if he commits suicide? He shoots himself, yeah. 
Um, so I was like, right, fine. That's the rest of the film playing out. Like that's just it will be keeping this guy, keeping the kid alive, and then them figuring out who did this. Mm. Um, and, and it does that. It, it leads you down that path for a little bit, but then very quickly, um, you were back in Amish town. Yeah. Well, there's two things that happen, perhaps against that expectation there's a huge romantic subplot yeah. like to the point where you could genuinely describe a third of this film as a romance really yeah and yeah as you say uh harrison ford realizes his character realizes that um that the boy's going to be in the boy's in danger um because there's kind of police corruption involved and and so he goes and joins the amish community well so the, so harrison ford gets shot by the crooked cop Oh yeah, I mean, there's loads more plot. But. Yeah, so he gets shot, and then he needs to get the woman and the kid out of town. So they, so she, he's like bleeding out and very sweaty, and um, they drive out to Amish town, and then she basically nearly dies of infection from this his gunshot wound. She puts a bit of milk on it. <laughs> That's literally it's a poultice. The they cook up a poultice. It's got oils as well. Linseed oil and milk. Mm-hmm. That's the um, that's the cure for all gunshot wounds, by the way. So if anyone is to get shot, just crack open a pint of semi-skimmed mm-hmm. and some whatever whatever oil you've got hanging around. I think you should count yourself lucky Lucky Amish people probably don't listen to podcasts. I think you might be uh, casting aspersions across their whole culture here. I don't think that's true. They also give them a cup of tea, you know. I think sure. I think they probably would, um, uh, they're a bit more sophisticated than that. But um, so yeah, he, they, he has this rough um, night in fever and then wakes up and... Um, and has to sort of become Amish as to be undercover and to protect everyone. Well, there's even a, a little element of comedy at this point. I mean, they could have gone full comedy and been like, oh, isn't it funny that Harrison Ford, you know, can use a phone, but he can't, you know, light a fire or whatever. Yeah. But it wasn't quite like that. But but it is played for laughs a little bit, isn't it? A little know? bit, you know, short. He's got funny, his clothes don't fit him properly and things like that. But then, then you're in this whole middle section of the film, which is all set in the Amish community. So none of the actors were Amish, by the way. Yeah. So they were all... Because they don't like to be... As they say in the film, they don't like to be photographed or filmed. No, but Amish people were in the crew, so they did help with the carpentry and the set building and things like that. So Mm -hmm. they were on set, but they weren't in front of the camera. Um, But I thought the whole bit where they are in the community makes being Amish look pretty great. Yeah, you see, yeah. You know? Yeah, yeah. You got, you got, a, you got a pretty good uniform. I, I loved me a pinafore or a dungaree or something like that. You know, bonnets not my thing, but I'd come and come around to it. You get everyone seems to eat really well. They just make houses which look really cool. Um, Do you think it's just that we're in lockdown at the moment, and this is about as this is about as strong a sense of community as you can yeah, get on film? Maybe that is it. Yeah, there is a really, a really heartwarming sense of community there, but also. Um, very strict rules yeah so on one side it's like oh everyone's coming together but on the other side it's if you if you fuck up you'll get Mm. shunned and your life won't be worth living isn't it quite funny that we're sort of looking at that as like god they live by such strict rules while we can only leave the house for essential groceries or (laughs) exercise once a day I was like I don't know if it feels at the moment like they've got more freedom yeah yeah also I have obviously fundamental problems with uh, the role of women within the Amish community sure. so um, th- that is all all of those things are sort of put pins in them just because it just looked like nice mm. we should talk a bit about Lucas Haas as well who plays uh, plays the boy plays uh, old Samuel 
Yeah, so I genuinely thought he was the kid from The Shining, but that's not true, is it? No, I don't think so. But he, this was his fifth ever film credit, and he's gone on to be in loads of stuff. So he's in, in load of, a lot of my favourites, actually. He's in Inception, he's in Widows, he's in The Revenant, he's in Brick, he's fantastic in Brick. Uh, he was also in 24, and in a My Chemical Romance music video. Oh, so nice. he's done the full the full spectrum of my tastes, basically. Okay, yeah, nice. yeah, he's great in this, I thought. Oh. And I think they, they cast him perfectly, because he's, sort of, he's ever so slightly Nordic-looking, and maybe slightly unusual-looking. And uh, I think that that worked really well. Agreed. He was his his kind of scope was really really broad, and he was a very likable child. Not not a lot of kid actors are that likable. Actually, they're quite annoying and a bit saccharine. But he was really um, he was just really authentic and genuine. I thought um, yeah. well cast, well directed. Also, uh, Viggo Mortensen's first major film role, although he was barely in it, was he? Really? And he doesn't get to say a word. <laughs> no. Poor guy. No, it's just quite funny sometimes when you watch films from the 80s and spot massive stars doing oh, almost nothing. Danny Glover was in this Yeah, too. Danny Glover's in this, yeah. Doesn't although... have a very big role, doesn't say very much, but um, he's he's the kind of key bad guy, mm. and he looks very young in it. Um, also... Uh, some other little things I found out well, you've probably seen this as well Jack Nicholson was offered the role of John Book as uh, was Sylvester Stallone yeah Sylvester Stallone saying it was the biggest mistake of his career not to take it which well, maybe he would have been on a different path you know this film actually I didn't even know this but it, it really did set up it, 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 people use the script in like to study and as an example of how of scene setting and um, atmosphere and stuff you know it's it's uh, I think within the industry within the industry and um uh, kind of academically, I suppose it's really it's quite good. Mm. Well, I expect a lot of that is to do with the the screenplay and the fact that it won an Oscar as well. Yeah. Um, so, but but and Harrison Ford, can you believe this is his only nomination? I know. I was thinking when we when we spoke to your mum about it, I was thinking, well, yeah, you know, he did go down a kind of you know he was went down the Star Wars route, went down like a slightly you know maybe a slightly cheesier route, but then I I was surprised that he got nothing for Blade Runner. No. Nope. Yeah. Um, which obviously was before, even before this. Uh, Blade Runner was a few years prior, I yeah, think. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah. So his career... So let's just have a chat about Harrison Ford. Because let's. he is a major movie star, right? Do you want to go with your favourite Harrison Ford film? I am worried that I've forgotten a really good one that he's been in. I'm, I, I wouldn't describe myself as a Harrison Ford fan. Put it that way. I've got nothing against him. I think he's, I think he's a, a, a solid actor. And has had a lot of good roles. I think we've obviously talked about his reputation a bit as being very difficult in interviews and quite impatient with journalists. Uh, and I have to be honest, I do find knowing that colours me a little bit against his performances. Does I it? find I sort of I view all of his characters as being a bit more abrasive now that I know that he's like that. I know it's not very fair. Um, but I mean, I enjoyed him in Star Wars. I enjoyed The Fugitive. I obviously I love Blade Runner and, and and the sequel. I thought was was really good as well. Um, I enjoyed. Let's not let's not try and make you out to be a Star Wars fan. You are a Trek fan. Oh, I take Trek over Wars, but I love them. I like them both. I like them both. I'm I like them it's both. Wars over Trek. Wars is way better than Trek. Mm, incorrect. But continue with whatever else you were going to talk about. <laughs> I think as we've had this discussion personally many times, it's because you watch Star Trek on telly. Like when you were younger, and Star Trek just wasn't on in our house. I'm going to throw it out there. Star Wars is Star Trek for Republicans. That's what I'm saying. Shut up! I'm not saying Star Wars is bad, but one of them is about improving the world and the other one is like a fun space adventure. You're mad. Mm. You're mad you are. I can't believe you Go on then, what's your favourite Harrison Ford film? Which well, is what we were um, talking about some yeah. time ago. 
Working Girl is obviously a favourite, but I can't... Harrison Ford is in that, but it's not really about him. Mm-hmm. So I love it because of Melanie Griffith, because she has massive shoulder pads, <laughs> she has got killer hairdo, and um, I love the earrings and the makeup that everyone wears. Mm-hmm. So And, and like Sigourney Weaver's pretty killer. So Working Girl, I can't believe that hasn't actually come up in one of my categories, because that is genuinely one of my favourite films ever made. Two, I think Blade Runner is, is such a great film. And um, he plays it so like under he doesn't he like underplays it so mm-hmm. so well. Um, other great films of his are regarding Henry. Have you seen that? No, genuinely, I've never heard of it. I'm afraid. Well, but I hadn't heard of Witness until two days ago. No, it's a good film. Basically, oh, it's too too complicated to to, to describe. Sabrina, have you seen that? No. <gasps> My God. Um. So what lies beneath? Yes, I've seen that. He's pretty good in that. Yeah, um, and yep. with old Pfeiffer, and um, that's kind of playing against type because he doesn't tend to do like big thriller horrors kind no, of stuff, he, does he? He did the he did the Clancy film, so he was Jack Ryan for a while. Oh, he did um, okay. two two Jack Ryan films, um, Patriot Games and Clear and Present Danger. Oh, were they Jack Ryan films? Yeah, I had no idea. I've seen I've seen at least one of them. I think I've seen Clear and Present Danger, but I never never twigged that it was a John Clancy Question. adaptation. Question to you: mm-hmm. How many actors have played Jack Ryan? Um, well, I know he—I know he has. I know John Krasinski is probably the latest one. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, there will be others. I can tell from the question, but I don't know who they were. I know two others. Oh, go on! I didn't realize Jack Ryan was such a big thing. Alec Baldwin. Oh, okay. And um, Ben Affleck. So is it like a kind of like a low rent American James Bond, like that it has different people <sighs> playing mean, it every few years? No, it's not even that good. It's. <laughs> Um, it's t- Tom Clancy writes these, you know, writes. It's got like a bunch of books, like airport like. books, right? Yeah, and he's like a analyst, mm-hmm. um, and yeah, it just kind of gets reinvented every now and again. Oh, okay, got it. Um, I think Krasinski doesn't make a very convincing Jack Ryan. Oh, personally, but I love but Krasinski. No, um, he's just too funny to be like an action hero. Mm-hmm. Mm. Okay. Um, so. He's a busy guy. He was also in Canine, the Widowmaker. Do you have seen that? Oh, no, but we did obviously watch Turner and Hooch. No, no, no. no sorry, not oh. Canine. Canine Team. Oh, my God. Okay, yeah. That's a very like, different film. Submarine. Yeah. Um, and I think he's playing a German or a Russian or something, and I think he has a pretty terrible um, accent. And he's alongside Sean Connery. Oh, lovely. Um, so he's been a busy guy ever since the seven, late 70s where he got when he got Star Wars, up until, I think, like the late 90s, where he was still making good work. Recently, it's got gotten a bit shit, though. Like, well, like, I guess he's mainly been kind of reprising old roles, hasn't he, in Blade Runner and the new Star Wars films. Like, yeah. Um, do you feel like Liam Neeson has taken a bit of Harrison Ford's work? <laughs> I feel I feel like you see Liam Neeson over the last decade in films that you would have seen Harrison Ford in the decade prior. Oh, I don't know about that. I, um, I'm, not sure, I'm not so sure about that. I think Liam Neeson isn't nearly as mainstream as... As Ford. Right, okay, yeah. Um, but I say, like, more modern films that he's done. Morning Glory, have you seen that? Nope. With, um, oh, it's a terrible film, but okay. it's brilliant. Cowboys and Aliens, I've never seen that. Oh, sure, yeah. I, I, I saw the hype around it, but never watched it, because mm. it didn't look like it was for me. He's in The Age of Adeline, which I've not seen. Mm-hmm. He's in Secret Life of Pets, as a, he's a voiceover in that. Sure, yeah. And um, he's been, most recently, literally just before Cronus Bryce broke, he was promoting... Call to the Wild, where he is a, yeah. a, a grumpy um, Alaskan man or something, and there is a dog that can talk. <laughs> I didn't realise the dog could talk, but I had seen promo for that film just yeah. before we all got sent home. Yeah, still okay. wheeling it out, even though he's seventy-seven now. 
So, uh, what did you think of Witness overall as a piece of work? It surprised me. I I probably wouldn't watch it again in a hurry, but um, it did surprise me at just sort of how um, how moving it was actually, and it was very pretty. I thought, and and, and like I've said, it was very um, subtle, mm. and I, I quite like that. It doesn't it doesn't it doesn't try and like push you too hard or kind of explode in your face too much it's kind of quite gentle and mm. um and yeah i thought and i thought the relationship with him and her was really sweet actually and like i said for the amish community who principles i don't really agree with it did look jolly nice <laughs> just a lovely time in yeah. the countryside um i really liked i thought it had an admirable mix of themes of different points you could you could call it an action a thriller a romance or even a comedy um I think I liked what it represented, which is that there's firstly there's a huge slew of actually quite big films, you know, Oscar winning blockbuster films from the eighties and nineties that I have no idea existed, True. which makes me uh, hopeful for uh, if if we end up on lockdown much longer that there's there's a vast range to plunder, mm. um, and also just that the films made in that era didn't feel so precision engineered, not quite so um, like audience tested. And so you've got films like this where you really don't quite know where it's going to go. Mm. And you've got a film like this that eff- eventually topped the US box office, but it opens with a five-minute wordless Amish funeral yeah. set to ambient drone music. Mm. I mean, that would never happen in the year of our Lord 2020. So <laughs> I do like, I like the idea that you might find something unexpected by yeah. going a bit further back. And Paul, Paul Weir, that's his name, isn't it? Um, Peter Weir, sorry. You know, he directed, like, The Truman Show and um, he directed a few other big things um, which we would which we would have watched, you know, we would watch. Um, what else has he done? Uh, Mosquito Coast, which he, did, which he did with Harrison Ford next, mm-hmm. which Harrison Ford has says is his um, favourite of his films. I've never seen it. Um, he did Dead Poet Society. Mm-hmm. Truman Show, um, and that, that's kind of the the it for his kind of... But there's a bit of a theme there in that they're all films that performed massively well but are quite unusual, maybe not natural blockbusters or have like a, a kind of a, a concept that's a, a little harder to grasp yeah, than yeah. just an average blockbuster film. Yeah, yeah. Cool. Um, and it, hit, it initially hit number two in the box office behind Beverly Hills Cop and they later said that if they'd realised... Beverly Hills Cop was going to be such a success they would have staggered them because although they're very different in tone they are similar similarly themed in terms of kind of you know police investigations and corruption and so on yeah um cool let's move on to the second film so it's time to hear from the second (laughs) mum so hello (laughs) mum hello uh for the listeners benefit would you please state your name my name is Maggie Brooks. And can you tell us the film that you chose for us to watch this week? The film I chose is Call Me By Your Name. And can you tell us a little bit, in your own words, about why you picked this film for us to watch? I chose it because it surprised me greatly. I hadn't really heard much about it. Um, the reason I wanted to see it was it came up on a... Uh, I was going to the pictures to see Silver Screen, which was... was is something that we'll go on a, on a Wednesday morning and it was showing clips of films that were coming and when I saw the clip of this one it had music in it that I knew I would love because there was some music in it by Sif Jan Stevens. Great taste. The story looked, story looked interesting so it made me want to go and see it. Like, would you want to give us a quick run over of the plot? Um, yeah, I could do that. I made a few notes actually. Oh great. So um, it's set in the 80s 
Um, it's a coming-of-age film. It's about um, a young boy who is very unsure of his sexuality, um, set in Italy in the most beautiful landscape. Um, he's he's the son of um, an academic family, living there in the summer, doing his own thing, flirting with girls, but very unsure of everything. Um, it's beautifully filmed. It's all in glorious Italian countryside. Um, he's a little bit overindulged. He's a very clever musician. He's always composing music. Um, he's left to his own devices. Do, his father's doing research on some big project. And then this American guy comes over as a tutor for the summer, much older than the boy, who is Timothy Chalamet, who is now very famous. Um, and, the, and the man who comes over who's the tutor is Army Hammer. And there's this sort of connection between them, which never really comes to anything, and the guy's off with girls, and he's going and having a lovely time, but Timothy is obviously attracted to him. Um, and it's just a very beautiful film. It's very sensitive. It's got cascading emotions. There's anger, desire, shame, and love. It's, it's just done in such a sensitive way, and it really moved me. It made me cry. Um, and he never knows where the relationship's leading. Um, the music played a large part for me because it's a very, very score. But each piece is relevant to the scene and each emotion. And I've got the soundtrack now. And when I listen to that, I can see which bit of the film it's in. And I've only watched it twice. And I think I need to watch it again. And I'm not someone who watches a film very often. I watch a film and then that's it. But this one I could watch over and over again. And it's a very, very moving film. Mm. With descriptions like that, I think we might as well just hand you the podcast. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> I think you've, you've done a better job than we've been able to. I think it's a very erotic film, actually, Mag. <laughs> yeah, I'd rather say yes, it is, actually. Yes, it is. I think you're right. Yes, I mean, I, I actually... I mean, I don't know if this is gonna, you can do what you like with this, but I went with my 70-year-old Iranian friend, um, not really knowing what the film was about, but she absolutely loved it, too. She really loved it, and I was surprised because I didn't know how she would react. But she really loved it, and um, and we both agreed it was just so beautiful, and that's what made me want to buy the soundtrack because the music just, to me, reminds me of every every scene, really. Mm. Mm. I agree. The music is really lovely. Like The Sufjan yeah. stuff is particularly beautiful, but throughout it's it's really understated stated and very subtle and then it comes in really strong and the way they do hard cuts between scenes and music and him with his headphones on and him playing music it's yes. again it's a, it's another part of the this kind of romantic italian very um it's just it's all it's all very beautiful isn't it it is beautiful although I've, since i've seen the film i've also read the book no, it's and, it's very, and it's very true to the book so many films are not always true to the book, but you know it's it's pretty pretty true to the book, I would say. Yeah, I mean, I I feel like watching the film. It feels like a film that's quite true to a book because there are long passages where perhaps not a lot happens, or they do kind of take their time with it because it's two hours and twenty minutes long. Mm -hmm. And I think yes. some perhaps lesser filmmakers or people under more pressure might have cut out some of the you know might have cut to the action, so to speak. Yes. Yeah. And, but, I agree with you. Actually, I I feel I've I've forgotten that part because I haven't I didn't watch it again yesterday. I've, I've um I've only you know it was a long time ago I watched the one you gave me actually. Mm. But um 
I felt that there was a lot of time between scenes, but that sort of added to the whole ambience of the whole thing. It, it was very well, the timing was good. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Yeah, the scene setting yeah. was particularly was particularly clever, I thought. And the way they shot everything and they cut between things, I, I, it was it really... It really gave you a sense of time because yes. he's only there for six weeks, but you yes. get the feeling like um, Elio's character has sort of been waiting his whole life to meet this guy, and he's sort of been lazing by the pool just until he he kind of arrives. I agree. I agree. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's just so touching. Mm. Yeah. And also, um, somebody did say to me that they thought Arnie Hammer was a bit too old. You know that he that his character was too old, but I didn't feel that at all. I felt that actually it, it sort of added to the story the fact that he was old I mean I don't know how old he was supposed to be but yeah, you know it, seems, it didn't matter the age gap didn't matter to me at all it seems na- a bit, it seems natural to me that although the Olio's world is fairly although it's very cultured it's fairly isolated and so I guess the, um, Arnie Hammer even if he is a bit old represents the first opportunity for him to you know rec- you know recognise something about himself and it might, you know, I guess, I guess the first person that he has a sort of a gay relationship with isn't necessarily going to be the ideal person that's the right age. It's going to be the first time an opportunity presents itself. Yeah, mm. yeah, I agree. I agree. Yeah, super. Well, it's my second time watching it. I really, I enjoyed it the first time, but I think I enjoyed it even more the second. I think the pace yeah. and the setting, and it's just so well put together. It's very well. Yeah. Put together. Did you enjoy it? But you enjoyed it, Bex. Yes, I did. Yeah, I thought it was very beautiful. Um, yeah. And um, I, I love Italy, and I really like films like um, uh, films that are like cross languages and dialects. Like this is a very um, artistic and um, uh, art, uh, like a, a very um, eclectic family. And you yes. just, I wish I could fall between English, French, and Italian as effortlessly as they do. So it's, it's oh, very. Um, yes. Yes. Yeah. And that lovely old house. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And you can tell from yeah. the credits. It's mean, sort of privileged, a privileged family, really. Yeah. Yeah. You can. Yeah. Uh, they say. They say at one point they inherited the house. I think as well. Okay. Yeah. Um. But I mean, you can tell it's quite an international endeavour because the credits at the start of the film there's about twenty different in- film companies from various countries that that got it made. I think. Oh, right. Yes. Yeah. And there's a sequel coming. I heard. Yeah, they just announced yeah. there's, an, there's a sequel. Yeah. What's that going to be about? I, well, I think they're both in it again. So yeah, I, yeah, they are. I'm wondering if it might be. I don't know if either of you have ever seen uh, the Beyond uh, trilogy, Beyond Sunrise, Beyond Sunset, with Judy Delpy and Ethan Hawke. No. But that's similar in that it's a it's it's two people whose lives intertwine over decades, and it's all oh. about their kind of their love for each other, and it only happens over a kind of twelve hour period. I have seen that. So I, I wonder if this might be a little bit like that, like. Yeah, Elio, Elio and, and Oliver's encounters over the years, maybe. Because when was the film maybe. made? I mean, it definitely was open for for more at the end. I thought. Yeah. Yes. You know, without without it being, although Arnie was getting married, it you know it was definitely still open because he obviously still had affection for him. I, you know, that was definitely there. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And Timothy Chalamet still looks exactly the same. Like he's he's incredibly boyish and beautiful now yes. as he was. I don't know when the film. How old the film is? Oh, I think it's uh, twenty seventeen. Okay, oh, yeah, okay. yeah. So he's just been in. It was he in uh, Little Women, wasn't he? He, he was. was. Yeah, 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 yeah. He's uh, he's huge now. Yeah. Um, super. Yeah. Well, thanks very much for recommending that. Good. We I'm really, glad you've enjoyed it. We I really enjoyed look it. Forward to hearing the the podcast. So there we go. Yep, my mum Maggie has picked uh, 2017's "Call Me by Your Name," which I thought was a very interesting choice. 
I've got a feeling that um, she said she she thought she watched it on telly. I've got a feeling that I may have bought her the DVD of this in a charity shop. When Could did be you wrong. buy that? Could be wrong. A couple of years ago. Right. Uh, I think I was in a charity shop in Western Supermare, and I either bought it for her or I just showed it to her and she already knew that she loved it. She oh, already I seen see. It. Because that's a risky risky DVD to buy a mum. I know, I know. Yes, so join us as we enter into a world of brief Italian summers, sexual longing and ripe fruit. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so um, I'd seen this once before. Yeah. You'd, you'd not seen it before. No. Um, what were you expecting and what did you get? So I, all I knew was that it was set in Italy, so I'd, I'd, I'd definitely be into that already. And then it was about sort of sexual awakening, um, which also sounds great. And Timothy Chalamet, uh, if you're going to cast, Timothy mm. Chalamet and Arnie... Army Hammer. Hammer. Um, excellent name, isn't it? Mm-hmm. I mean, what a great one. Um, so yeah, I kind of went into it not really knowing much more than that. Mm-hmm. And it definitely surprised me. I mean, I... I'm, I'm willing to bet that it was a more leisurely pace and more sexually explicit than you were expecting. It's way more explicit. And it's, it's, um, it is very erotic, considering <laughs> it is a mum recommended. <laughs> also, I think you can concentrate too much on that. I think obviously it's a European-made film, and by and large, it as a rule... European-made films are slightly more open and a bit more accepting about sexual content on screen. I agree. If I'm generalising. There's way more to it than the sex, and I think that it's really easy um, just to talk about how he's fucking a peach, but but the actual underlying themes of it... Sorry, should I say fucking? Yeah. Oh. um, The underlying themes of it are really, really lovely and um, sentimental, and you kind of wonder, would would we be talking about it if it was a heterosexual relationship? Yeah, possibly not. I mean, yeah, um, would it even make such an interesting film? I yeah. guess you have to have that element of it's set in the, in the mid-80s and this this uh, Elio Timothy Chalamet's character, whilst very sort of worldly intelligent, kind of, you know, understands the classics and lo- has a lot of talk about literature and music and poetry and so on, is kind of, yeah, as, as he says himself, you know, he, he'd be surprised what he doesn't know about the things that matter and mm-hmm. that he's kind of, you know, he's obviously sexually inexperienced and he... He's relatively isolated, and so... And alone. He's quite lonely, I think, as a 17-year-old boy. He's very close to his you know, liberal academic parents, but he doesn't have brothers or sisters or yeah. anyone around him all the time. And, and even when he does, there are lots of points in the film where he's set apart by the fact that he doesn't want to do what everyone else has gone to do, mm. be it dancing or you know going for a swim or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, I think, yeah, as you say, it's, it's fairly explicit in places, but it's quite a luxurious running time. It's two hours and 20 minutes long, and I think they do a great job of setting up the characters, the scene setting. Yeah. They don't signpost anything too much. They just kind of... It's almost like you're just, you know, a guest at dinner and you're just kind of getting to know everybody. Yeah, which I liked. I mean, did, did you feel, did you think it felt too, over two hours long? I think I, I was conscious it was a long film. And I think the first time I watched it, I had obviously, you know, because as with a lot of these kind of art house films that become blockbusters, I think a lot of people go to them expecting a kind of a blockbustery pace. Sure. Uh, I, I didn't necessarily expect that. I wasn't expecting action, but it was very leisurely, and it was kind of like spending time in people's company rather than watching a film where things are really happening. Yes. Yeah. I quite liked the length of it actually, yeah. and usually I find um, overly long. Well, actually, uh, overly long. Fi- I don't mind a long film 
as long as I give a shit the whole time. Mm. And this one I did the whole time. And that's actually really hard to do, I think. And um, I didn't know it was from a book. Maggie mentions that. And um, like I said, I think the film does play like a book. Mm. There's a lot of, like you've you, you described before, there's a lot of um, silence and scene setting and mood setting and mm. um, different different outlooks and stuff, you know, looking at different things. And I, th- I think that's really important to this story. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, the, and also when there is dialogue, it's very well crafted and there's a huge amount, you know, said in the gaps between words and in the way people look at each other. And, it, and I think they have to kind of, they do, they have to give you a bit of a, a few pointers in the film by kind of catching a glimpse of Elio's journal and yeah. little things like that and, and and also what what the char- what he says to himself when he's alone and things like that is all kind of very telling. Mm. Um, Doesn't I, it make you want to be like in Italy in the eighties though? Oh yeah, Jesus! It looks like doesn't yeah. It? Well, now I'm better at cycling. Definitely, oh, <laughs> you'd be a bit stuck if you couldn't cycle or didn't yeah. drive. But yeah, gorgeous. It's obviously like, and, and and you know, I guess there's a there's metaphors there that like the lushness of the fruit and the countryside. Mm. It's all about kind of ripening and coming of age. Absolutely, and, you, know. you can see that from the moment they start talking about the orchard and the apricots and the peaches. You really, you, you he is lovely, he is, sexy fruit. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> But he, like you say, it's a metaphor for him and his coming of age and him, him his ripening. Yeah, and and I think it's it speaks to the dialogue that again the, the screenplay for this one on Oscar. Um, mm. Did it? Yeah, in fact, there are I, I I noted some things. There are quite a few similarities between Witness and Call Me by Your Name. Oh. Uh, bear with me. Uh, both have a striking looking young boy, unsure of what he knows. Sure. I mean, it's a stretch, but sure. Uh, an American spending a period of weeks in a foreign community. Yeah. Uh, and a score that dominates the film rather than blends into the background. Yeah. Do you want to talk about the music? Uh, yes, but let me finish my list because they also then obviously both have uh, they both have uh, won Oscars for their screenplays. Yeah. As well. Right. Okay. Yeah. The um, writing in this is lovely. The, yeah. All the dialogue. There's so much. There's so much conversation. And, and like I said when we were talking to Maggie, there's so much multilingual conversation as well, which I think is really cool. Yeah. Um, yeah, it makes you just want to be able to speak about ten languages and just cut between them all. Absolutely. Um, and, yeah, let's talk about the music. So yeah. there's two original songs by Sufjan Stevens, which are both fantastic. I'm a big, big Sufjan fan anyway. We are big anyway. Sufjan fans. Um, and then there's a kind of a recurring piano motif, which I think... I, I might be wrong, but there's, there's a section in the film where... Um, Elliot and uh, uh, Elliot and uh, Army Hammer's character Oliver, Oliver. sorry, uh, are having a bit of a, a heated debate about how best to play a piece of Bach. I think, mm. um, and I wondered if because you do have a, a recurring piano motif, whether that piano motif is also altered slightly ah, each time you hear it. No. Maybe it is, maybe it is. I'm not sure. Yeah, everything it did all feel sort of quite familiar but different, and the music did, and um, I just I just thought it, it was. It was there, but it was not there. Like I didn't, it mm. didn't involve itself too much in the story, and I okay. think that's really good. Apart from the Sufjan moments, where yeah, those were real lovely breaks because all the other music is instrumental, and Sufjan stuff is the only vocal music you hear. Apart from like the pop, the dance, the eighties dance sure. records, there's quite a bit of dun- a bit of pop music, but that's being played in the film rather yeah. than as a score. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and there are bits as well um, where yeah, the music stops abruptly, where the scene changes as well. There's no yeah. kind of they don't sort of guide you from one scene to another necessarily. Which I really like. And again, it's like the turning of a book page. You know, I really like those hard cuts and the, the, the abruptness of silence and sound for the, the next scene or the previous scene. I think I quite, I think they're really, 
I think it's I, I like seeing that as a technique. Yeah, and I think uh, sometimes it can be a bit jarring because it reminds you you're watching a piece of art rather than kind of engaged in in a film. But I think here it really works. Mm, yeah, I think also think the sounds of nature are used really cleverly mm. in this as well. So they're they're used as much as the music is. I think she's right. Is that we when we first talked about this, we were kind of we were getting a bit hung up on the sort of uh, my mum suggested a you know a film that's got a lot of sexual content in it. But she's right. It is it is a beautiful film. It's a very tender film and it's very sensitive. I think sort of sensitivity and human relationships in a film mm. is 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 a lot of what my what my mum goes for in in movies and I think I do too like yeah. I really like it it can be a film where almost nothing happens as long as you get a real sense of people and their the way they interplay with each other yeah relationships i suppose isn't it yeah. uh, i don't like a film where almost nothing happens but i do like a but this isn't one of those films mm. i think i think a buttload happens in this film mm-hmm. no pun intended <laughs> i didn't even mean to say that uh, i'm sorry um so i mean we try and i mean it's it's not a competition but we do try and ask ourselves which was the film we preferred um, shall I talk first about uh, box office and reviews for these guys? Sure. So Witness has a score of seven point four out of ten on IMDb, which I think Not is bad. I think it's fair. Um, it was made for an estimated budget of twelve million dollars. Its opening weekend, it made almost half of that back, and this is back in eighty five when that was even more money. Uh, its cumulative worldwide gross, according to IMDb, is sixty eight million seven hundred thousand dollars. Wow. Which is yeah, a huge four times its budget, so mm. a huge success. Uh, Call me by your name, seven point nine out of ten. Uh, again, I think that's fair. Maybe even a little low, given the kind of acclaim that it's had elsewhere. Yeah. Um, it was made for an estimated budget of four million euros. Uh, wow. In Cheap. opening weekend in the USA, it only made half a million dollars. But I mean, you know, we're talking about a a multilingual film. I suppose it's got Army Hammer in it though, so people would already there'd be some recognition, name recognition there. Yeah. Uh, but it went on to make eighteen million dollars in the US, and it's made nearly forty-two million dollars worldwide. So, Witness is still the bigger seller, sure. but but also Witness I think is made to be box office gold. Yeah, whereas think... Call Me by Your Name has kind of got there through a, more of a convoluted route. Critically, it's probably the better film because it's. Um... It's it's talking about much more much more relatable topics, isn't it? Mm. You know, coming of age, your own sexuality. What does that mean? The shame, any shame, or whatever, all of the sh- all of the shit that runs through your head. I think that is much more relevant now. Whereas in 1985, even in that the witness is not really relevant. No, to... I'm I I'm glad. I think they both films dealt with their subjects with a level of sensitivity that was good and surprising mm. especially witness because once i saw that it was kind of set in the amish community i was a bit worried that is an 80s sensibility going to mean that this is actually a bit of a kind of a paper thin portrayal of you know like is it going to be a sort of oh aren't the amish unusual sure. kind of mm. film but it didn't feel like it went too far down that road for me no i thought it was handled really sensitively yeah mm. yeah um so I think I prefer Call Me By Your Name overall, but I was pleasantly surprised by how much I enjoyed Witness and how different it was to what I expected. Yeah, I think if um, enjoy, when, I, uh, when, it, when I think about it, which one would I watch again first? I'd probably watch Call Me By Your Name first, be, but because it is more present and now and relevant now, I mm-hmm. think. Yeah, um, it's got a head start because it's only three years old. Yeah, and you know, Timothy Chalamet and um, Arnie Hammer are both really cool actors well because Timothy Chalamet's 
This wasn't his first film, though. I don't think it was his first film, but it was certainly his breakout. Right. This is what made him a star, if you like. He hasn't aged a day. No. In those in these short three years, I think he looks exactly the same mm. in this film to like Little Women or or the new Wes film he's in. Mm. Um, I think he has he's got like wonderfully like such good skin and he's very boyish, isn't he? Um, just a, he's a really beautiful man. He's quite um, he's quite uh, he, he he's quite t- ageless and timeless. I think he, mm. he could he could look he looks like he could be. 17th century poet as well as a 90s rock star yeah you know yeah he's like one of those people you see in like uh, in films about vampires or something where you've got the same face in every era sure, yeah. Yeah. yeah 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 um so yeah that's uh, that's this week's episode thanks so much to uh, jill and maggie our, thanks, mums. our resident mums and uh, contributors to this week's podcast uh, for picking such interesting films that we both really enjoyed yeah um yes if you're on lockdown and want to start a film club it's dead easy uh, if you want to have one like ours you literally just write a bunch of categories put them in a jar pick one out and then you've each got to go away and find a film for less than four quid that you can enjoy uh if you've come to the end of your essential films that you wanted to watch on lockdown and you're looking for some film inspiration then uh, we thoroughly recommend that you give it a try uh, and if you drop us an email at filmclubpod at gmail.com um then we will send you back a category that we'll come up with at random uh, and that can be your starting point we're also on twitter at filmclubpoduk so uh, if you want to come find us there then please do uh these episodes as we've mentioned on a previous episode are becoming more occasional now because we've got less time to do them but uh, we wanted to do one while we're on lockdown and maybe we'll get another one done before we're all allowed to leave our houses again Uh, so yeah thanks so much for listening to film club and uh yeah we've got a few old episodes if you're new to us then uh, please do have a listen uh and hopefully we'll be back with another episode soon but uh thank you and goodbye bye by Tom Rosenfeld and Joe Silverstone. Uh, if you want to find out more about them and the many great bands they're in, including Mesodorm, The Spindle Ensemble and Our Man in the Field, you can go to Tom's Instagram at instagram.com slash four vertical, the number four and the word vertical, or instagram.com slash Joe Silvercello. That's J-O Silvercello.